Thanks for tuning in to the Christchurch Inner West podcast. CCIW is made up of St John's Ashfield, St Albans Five Dock and St Oswald's Haberfield. We meet in person and online each Sunday and you're really welcome to join us anytime. For more information about times and activities, go to our website cciw.org.au If I was to ask you, what comes to your mind if I say a great power in your world? A superpower? What do you think of? Perhaps you think of a country, a great nation. What about if I say a great person, a tyrant, a ruler, a mighty general, a king? I wonder who you think of. I think of Babylon. I think of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me introduce myself to you. I am Daniel. I come from the land of Judah, from Jerusalem. But at this moment, I am in Babylon with King, his mighty empire. How did I get here? Well, in Judah, we are very small and the armies of Babylon down through the Euphrates and down to our territory. At that point, it took off only some of the leading people in the city and I among them was taken on that journey by foot many, many, many days, weeks to the great city of Babylon. I walked through the incredible gate in entry to this city with its images of their gods, the wealth of Babylon on display. We were captives. We had no rights. We had to take on board the language, the books, the culture of the city of Babylon. That is the mighty city that I see as the superpower of my time. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the great king who has conquered so many nations. His empire extends a great distance. My friends and I who are, remain true to our God were put in a crisis just recently. We were in the king's palace, ordered to eat the king's food, drink the king's wine, but we knew that it had been offered to the gods of Babylon. Would we do this? Would we comply? It was easier to do it. It's very hard when you looked around and saw the massive buildings, the temple of their gods, to actually refuse. But we knew we would be stepping over the line, denying our God to eat the food offered to the gods of Babylon. That was our crisis, but that was, that's over. At the moment, we face a new crisis. It's come to us, we are not in the palace itself, but it's come filtered down through the grapevine of Babylon that the king is troubled, very perturbed. Why? 
He's had a dream. This king who is control, has control of all his empire has had a dream. And he has woken up night after night after night not being able to know what is the source or the meaning of this dream. Now, there's one thing worse than a king being troubled. It's when a tyrant becomes enraged. When a tyrant becomes enraged and his word must be obeyed everywhere, everyone beware. He called all the magicians, the sorcerers, the wise men to come and interpret the dream. He had them all before him. Now, he was cunning in his rage. He said, you tell me the dream first. They looked. I mean, all the books are there for interpreting the dreams, but you had to know the dream first. And then you went to your books, and then you searched it out. They came to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, no one can do this, no one. There is no one who can tell you the dream first, but tell us, tell us, just tell us and we'll interpret it for you. But Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to trick me. You're going to trick me. I'm not telling you that dream. They said, we can't do it. We can't do it. He says to them, okay, if no one can do this, all the wise men, all the sorcerers, all the magicians are going to be executed. Your life is ended. You will be torn limb from limb. You will be shredded to pieces, chopped up. Your homes will be destroyed. Not only you in front of me, let me extend this a little bit. All the wise men of the land, all the magicians of the land, they will be executed too. This filtered down to all the wise men, all the magicians, all the sorcerers in the land, what their fate was going to come because Nebuchadnezzar could not control his own mind. Arioch was a bit like Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. He was a chief official, and now he'd become the chief executioner. I went to Arioch. I, Daniel, who was, this is a high-risk thing. I went to Arioch and said, what is the rush? Just, can you extend the time just a bit? Just a bit, just see if I can come up with a solution. Arioch agreed, surprisingly, really. He didn't have to. He had his job of execution, ready to go. He said, okay. Now, it would have been easy. I'm not sure. What would you have done? What would you have done in a situation? I think... Maybe for some people, they might have tried to think, let's, let's a group of us get together and try and escape. Or can we come up with a plan to hide? What can we do? But I knew it was all pointless. I worshipped the God of heaven. 
Only he could reveal this mystery. And I wondered, would he reveal it to me that I might tell the king and save all these lives? Now, I'm, I'm not prepared to do this on my own, really, because this is huge. I gather together three of my companions, others who'd come from Jerusalem with me, who had stayed loyal, loyal to the God of heaven, back there in that food crisis. And so we gathered together, and I filled them in on the situation, and I said, this is what is happening. This is the situation as it stands. So what do we do? The only thing we can, we pray. We pray. And we ask God, if in your mercy you will do this for us, we beseech you, reveal the dream and its meaning. Well, that night, having left it in God's hands, I went to bed and had a vision. And in that vision, I saw the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And I was told by God the interpretation. Once again, I ask you, what would you have done then? Oh, it was so tempting to just whiz off, find Arioch, tell him everything's going to be okay. I've got the answer. Everyone's safe. You know, look to me. Solved. Problem solved. I got up that morning and I prayed. I wrote down the prayer I prayed because I wanted to, <coughs> I wanted to remember in this moment of crisis, who God was and to recall that and to let others know who this great God is. Let me read just some of what I prayed. Blessed be the name of God from age to age for wisdom and power are his. Blessed be the name of God, the name. This God of all had revealed his name to his people, his name that captured his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy. He had entrusted his people with his name and I blessed him, worshipped him, that he had made known his name to us and it was still true in this pagan country of Babylon. I praised him as the one who deposes kings and sets up kings. Ah, Nebuchadnezzar. He thinks he's in control. He looks out on his empire and he thinks it will never end. But he's only there because God has allowed his rule. And finally I prayed, O God of our ancestors, I give thanks and praise. You have revealed what we have asked of you. 
How could I promote myself? I knew that God alone had granted me this wisdom. So I went and I found Arioch. And I allowed him his moment of self-promotion. We come to the king. We come into the throne room of King Nebuchadnezzar, bowing before him. And Arioch says, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I have found a man who can interpret your dream. I knew immediately I must make sure Nebuchadnezzar knew it wasn't me. I wasn't the one who could tell him the dream. I wasn't the one who could reveal the mystery. I said to him, O King Nebuchadnezzar, no one can tell you what this dream is. No one on earth can tell you this dream. But there is a God in heaven who is the revealer of mysteries. He can tell you the meaning of this dream. I wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that his mind, which he thought he had total control of, God is able to speak into. And Nebuchadnezzar, who felt, I'm sure, that he was in control of the whole of, future, of the future, God was the decider of his future, of everyone's future. So I said to him, Nebuchadnezzar, this is your dream. This is your dream. You saw a brilliant, shining statue, a huge statue. There was a head of gold. There was a middle and arms of silver. There was a, uh, a chest of silver and arms of silver, a middle and thighs of bronze. There were legs of iron and legs and feet of iron and clay mingled together. Now that sounded pretty impressive. I paused for a moment. But King Nebuchadnezzar, the most amazing thing in the dream was on the side a rock, a stone, came from nowhere, not fashioned by human hands, and smashed in to the legs of the statue. And the whole statue crumbled disintegrated into such tiny pieces it became like chaff that the wind just blows away. And what happened to that stone? It grew and it grew and it grew and it became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I want to tell you the meaning. You might be wondering, wondering Nebuchadnezzar, are you this statue? I want to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're just a bit of it. You're just a bit of it. You are the head of gold. But let me remind you, even though you are a mighty kingdom, all the armies that you've commanded, all the peoples that you have conquered, all the animals and birds that are in the lands that you are in control of, God has given those to you. 
And let me now tell you that what will happen, you feel that Babylon is impenetrable. Who could ever conquer this nation? Who? Your nation will fall. Babylon will be gone. Another nation will come in. It won't be as powerful as you, like silver is to gold. It probably is divided, not as whole as yours. And then another nation will come in, a bronze, represented by the bronze. It won't be as powerful either. Perhaps it will be a nation that spreads out over the whole of the, the world we know, but it will divide up. It won't last. And then a nation will come, a nation like iron that will crush people with its disciplined army. And yet at the heart of that nation, there is weakness. And this stone that comes in and will crush this statue is God's kingdom, a kingdom that God will set up, a kingdom that will last forever and it will never be handed on to someone else. Never. I want to ask you when you thought of the kingdom or the power or the mighty ruler, the leader, that seems like they will stay forever. I wonder who you thought of. Or perhaps in your time, you have seen and know that kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. Nations are powerful and nations start to crumble. I look around at Babylon and it seems unimaginable for me, refugee with no rights, to imagine this kingdom won't be here forever. And yet God has told me what will be. I long for a kingdom that is different. For all the might of Babylon, I see the other side of it. I see the rich are dominant, the poor are trampled on. People are brought in and conquered and told they must fit in with the culture and the learning and the language of this nation. There is a sense of despair and hopelessness. There is injustice. There is no mercy. How I long for a kingdom that is different to that. For a kingdom where love and grace are the guiding principles. A kingdom where righteousness and justice are maintained. A kingdom where the poor are treated as equals to the rich. God's kingdom. Could there be a king who could run and lead a king like that, a kingdom like that? That king would have my willing allegiance, not my demanded allegiance. 
we get hints about a king who's going to come in our prophets, in the words of our prophets. And I don't know if you know more than the hints I have of who this king in God's everlasting kingdom could possibly be. Who could be a king to rule a kingdom like that? Someone said Jesus. Jesus? King Jesus. Do you know what the word, the name Jesus means in Hebrew? The one who saves. King Jesus. The one who saves. Well, let me just take you back to finish the scene in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. I'm there, the meaning of the dream has been finished. Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? He bows down and worships me. I don't think he quite got the fact that there is a God in heaven who alone must be worshipped. He bows down. But then he does give God a bit of flattery. He is God of gods, king of lords. But really, I think Nebuchadnezzar believes that only he should be worshipped. Only he should be treated as the top person in his whole empire. We will see how this flows out day to day, whether he really does think God is like that, or I suspect he has just added the God of heaven to an array of his gods. And then just as he has been extravagant in punishment, he is also extravagant in reward. He makes me a high official in his court, he promotes me, and I manage to get my other friends promoted. But I realise, as he does this, that there is probably going to be jealousy rippling through this court. I am a foreigner. I am not of this people. How will people respond? Well, maybe you'll see a story that flows out of that. But as I look at the dream and as I reflect on it, I am encouraged. I see that through the expanse of history, nations come, nations go, but God's kingdom will last forever. I can see that all that is around me that seems so permanent, so real, so impinging on who I am does not demand my loyalty because I am loyal to the God of heaven. And I am made more confident because this kingdom of God will last forever. And as I trust in him, I know that even though I live in Babylon and I've had bricks and mortar in my home in Jerusalem, my true home, my forever home is with this God in his kingdom and he is my God and as I trust him and all who trust in him will know him and be held by him in his kingdom forever. <laughs>